The following talk cast was recorded live for your audio pleasure. Sci-fi Saturday night. Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! And we know what that sound means. What it means is tonight, live from the Caribou Lodge backroom, semi-happy ending massage parlor adjacent to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Area 51. Welcome to the May 29th, 2010 edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We've got a special night ahead for you tonight. I am the Dome, joining the talk cast tonight from the Alston Broughton Hellmouth outside of Boston. Welcome, Kriana. Bazinga. Ah, and speaking of Bazinga, from the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, mere hours away from the Bazinga Ball Pit Bacchanal and Penny Ante Poker Party, celebrating four decades of squandering precious hydrocarbons in pursuit of the perfect Supergirl panty shot, Illustrator <laughs> X and his flesh-eating bombshell, the dead redhead. Good evening, everyone. Don't you make me feel like a natural woman. Oh, it's so nice to hear you singing, and I mean that not at all. <laughs> Java was going to be with us tonight, but his network kept flaking out on us, and he didn't want to uh, screw up what we hope is going to be an incredibly wonderful evening. Uh, tonight is our third author's retrospective, The Like and Worth of, of Work and of Fritz Leiber. During his nearly 60-year career, he won nearly every peer award possible and was dubbed the writer's writer. To talk with us about him tonight is a man who, if I said needed no introduction, simply the mere mention of his name would bring so many thoughts to mind. For me, it brings to mind the short story anthology, I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream. And I it Must is, Scream. And I Must Scream. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Harlan Ellison. Harlan, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm coming to you tonight live from the underground glitter palace high atop the Moshe Dalach uh, Hotel here in Upper Los Angeles. <laughs> Outstanding, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Bringing you the music of Ramon Rivera and his snappy-dappy teeny bopper orchestra featuring Ursula Le Guin on lute. <laughs> I haven't heard a good lute in so long. That's because you never come to the bar with me. It's true. How come I never come to the bar with you? Because you keep touching me in inappropriate places, that's why. <laughs> your mouth says no, but your eyes say yes. <laughs> my eyes actually say wee oui, wee, oui, but my mouth says nichnara. <laughs> Okay, we're off to an interesting one, kids. You are, the, no, uh, you are the weirdest. You are the weirdest people I've spoken to since my birthday two days ago, and <laughs> and uh, I suppose we're, we were we were meant for each other. Separated at birth, early in the place to see. Go ahead, ask me what you wish to ask me. By the way, sir, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Yay. Harlan. Thank you very much. I and wish I could have said that to to Fritz today, but uh, Fritz is Fritz is gone and. Uh, and I miss him terribly, even years and years after his death. Not forgotten, though. 
Fritz, do you know where to get into this, or should I just begin rambling, and at some point you'll have a question to ask? Ramble on, sir. I, well, wait, I have a question. Okay, go for it. Okay. <laughs> yes, go ahead. I'm in a bookstore. I've got Are a $20 you? bill burning a hole in my pocket, and I'm going to pick up a copy of Twilight. Why should I go to the Fritz Library section instead? <laughs> because, wow. everything, because almost everything in Twilight was stolen from Fritz Library. Oh. You had twinkly vampires? And no. So, and so one suggests to anybody with one of those funny little handheld objects that reduces Lawrence of Arabia to the size of a uh, peach pit, <laughs> and they tell you how much how wonderful it is for you, and you say, oh, yes, here's a film that was made to be seen sitting in a theater five miles long, and I'm going to do it while I'm eating potato chips and picking my nose and look at... And look at uh, you know, O'Toole racing across nowhere. Fuck it. Oh, I'm not allowed to say that. Okay. Yeah, you can say anything. So we can say anything on here. On us today. Well, I only know two bad words, and I try not to use those. One of them is Nixon, and the other one, and I'm talking about the co-star of Sex in the City, too. Uh, I'm, and, and, the, and the other one is, is one very soft kind of glottal word, like a, like a piece of rabid weasel meat. It's, the word is sailor palin. And, uh, <laughs> well, it seems from those so that you and I words, have more in common than one might think, because I, I do believe that at one point you and I were both on the Nixon's enemy list. Oh, I was now, I was not only on Nixon's enemies list, I was on Reagan's uh, enemies list, along with people. <laughs> Oh, that was that was wonderful. I mean, what a boob. What an absolute boob Reagan was. There's a quote from Reagan that I've got framed up here in the house. It says, um, it says the, uh, the, uh, the, average, the average American is like the child in the family. Wow. Oh, wait, no. Uh, and then he also said, the, oh, this was wonderful. Just before he started the, the, uh, the campus riots, he said, the state of California has no business subsidizing intellectual curiosity. <laughs> oh, oh, God. oh well. Anyhow, uh, uh, you so back to, back to uh, what books you might want to pick up for that twenty dollar bill, if you could. Well, you know, if if you were going to get Fritz, that would be good. If you bought one of my books, that would be even better, because I'm still alive and Fritz doesn't give a shit no more. <laughs> They will be putting out some more editions of his uh, of some of his books, Harlan. I'm not sure if you did know that, but they uh, apparently in the fall, there's several editions that are going to be coming out. Well, you could spend your money nowhere better. Uh, Fritz uh, was a great hero to me long before I started writing uh, with his first book that came from Arkham House, Knights Black Agents, and uh, I, I I met him years and years later. But by that time. He was already the summit. Uh, he was the light to which one stri- toward which one strives. And his writing, doesn't matter what genre you pick, genres be damned. Fritz Leiber was one of the great American writers. Usually, I try- I've been trying to get the U.S. Post Office to issue uh, great American fantasists. They've done Poe, of course, but that was a one-off. I want them to do a set that includes Fritz Leiber, Edgar Rice Burroughs, H.P. Lovecraft, oh. Mark Ashton Smith, and the great Willis Cooper, who created Lights Out and uh, Quiet, Please, on the radio. And then go from there if those five or six... Oh, the sixth one is L. Frank Baum, who did The Wizard of Oz. And there of has never been 
And L. Frank Baum commemorative stamp, even though his 100th birthday just went by a while ago, they did a Judy Garland stamp in, uh, in 19... I don't know, 89, 50, the 50th anniversary of 1939's four big movies, which were Stagecoach, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, and Beaugest. And Judy Garland has now had two stamps. And on, the, and on the Wizard of Oz stamp, you see the quartet going toward the, uh, the, the, the oh, city. Oh, the cat. Yes. Yeah, toward, toward, the, toward the, uh, the, the, the city of Oz. But L. Frank Baum's name is not mentioned anywhere. And for them not to have done a, a stamp for one of the most widely read American authors of all time is, uh, as we say in Yiddish, it's a, uh, it's a shunder. Or is it a mitzvah? Or is it a pelegra? I don't know. There's a Yiddish word for it. Gesundheit. It, it's a gesundheit? No, it's not gesundheit. Nice try. Wow. <laughs> it's a yardsite? No, no, I agree. Those stamps would be wonderful if we could get them. Yeah, well, I've, got a, I've, I've, I've been trying for years to get somebody to get to the people. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a committee of, uh, of people who do this kind of thing, and they pick what's going to happen. Of course, they're being lobbied all the time by the American Vomit Association and uh, the Universal Dog uh, <laughs> Wanderers. And, you know, they Damn keep doing all of this stuff because they're lobbied to do it, and they're going broke. So there ain't really much of a, uh, a dollar in it for them to do it. But Fritz Leiber would, would, uh, would easily, easily be in that category of, mm. uh, of immortal writers like Washington Irving and Mark Twain. I mean, he's a great, great American author. So that's why you should spend your, your uh, Twilight money on, on one of his books. What would you suggest for somebody to start with Harlan? Would you, I, I understand about the whole, I agree with you, he crosses so many genres. But um, well, most people be. tend to, to start with Fafra Gray Mouser. I did not. I actually started no, with no, some of his no, horror no, no. books. So. No, I wouldn't start there. No, they're, they're, those are wonderful books. If you're a Conan head and you're a Prince of Persia head, then, yeah, they would be great because they're, you know, they're marvelous, marvelous sword and sorcery things, and they're, they're absolutely terrific for what they are. But this is, this is very much like saying... Uh, I'm making, uh, I can't actually climb Kilimanjaro, but I'm stopping off in Dayton, Ohio. And I'm going to make base camp in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And then and we'll, when we climb to the first summit at uh, Schenectady, New York, then we'll be within sight of the peak. Now, Liber, to me, Liber's short stories, he did one that I think they're going to re-release called A Pail of Air. Mm. It's a wonderful book of short stories. Um, Knight's Black Agents is terrific. Uh, um, uh, he did a great, oh, God, it's a great horror novel or thriller called uh, You're Not Alone. Yes. And, and then, uh, but the best one of all, the best one of all is Our Lady of Darkness. I'm just rereading that. It's so good. It holds up so amazingly well. That oh, could have been done any time. It is the soul of Fritz Leiber living in San Francisco and yes. looking out at Coit Tower and coming up with a whole new kind of necromancy mm -hmm. uh, about, about big cities. And he was a gigantic inspiration to me to write Deathbird stories in which I talked about the gods of the big city and the god of the freeway and the god of the slot machine, the modern gods. And, uh, and Fritz was always the shining light toward which one strove. 
Now, I just have, I, I looked here on, um, I believe it's Amazon. What's going to be coming out is something called Strange Wonders, a collection of rare Fritz Leiber works. Um, they're also going to be putting out, let me see here. Who's doing, who's doing it? Who's the publisher on this? Who's the publisher on that one? Let me see if I can get through the muck here and figure that out. Nah, I don't, I don't want to get involved in the electronic undertow. Um, but the other one is um, they're also doing Selected Stories by Fritz Leiber. And that is, let's see. Well, they're doing let's a lot see. of his early work. The right. I would, I would go for the selected because they're probably going to publish, they're, they're probably going to use the story I published in Dangerous Visions. Um, going to roll the bones. Going to roll the bones. Yeah. They'll probably great, do. A, great story that, that, that was. That's great stuff. And, and Fritz wrote for so long. Fritz was uh, writing even while he was the editor of Science Digest. I don't know if you knew that about him. He was for many, many years in Chicago. He lived in Chicago before he moved to San Francisco. He was the editor for Science Digest. And he would go home at night and write in his spare time. Um, his first wife was not yet. Oh, anyway, his only wife. Jesus, God. I, well, I, guess, I think he was married to Margo, but. No, that's, that's later. Right. Yeah. John Quill. Yeah, Jonquil. Jonquil was still alive at that time, and he and Jonquil, I, 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 you know, listen, kiddo, I'm working with equipment here that has not had, you know, they don't manufacture the parts anymore, so there's no replacements. And every once in a while, I'll say something that's completely off the wall and wrong, and you'll say, no, 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 I think you mean Jonquil, not Margo, and I'll say, oh, Christ, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> so uh, bear with me, and I'll try not to trip over my own tongue. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but I used to get to Harlan, you're, you're, you're totally entitled to trip over whatever you want. It's <laughs> to have you here. Even if it's my own forked tongue, right? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Actually, I, found, I found one of the cards that he had written to me, and this, this one was dated November 25th of 86. Yeah. And he said that at that point he had, he was up to page 175 on The Mouser Goes Below which was in the last collection of Faffer Gray Mouser that he had put out. Yeah. Um, I, I've always liked the Gray, uh, the Gray Mouser stuff. I mean, it's just marvelous stuff. Um, but I don't think it comes... Oh, listen. Dickens hated it, Christmas Carol. Conan Doyle, <laughs> he did. He hated it. Uh, he could never understand why everybody liked it so much. Conan Doyle came to despise Sherlock Holmes and killed him off at the Reichenbach Falls, and then uh, the fans demanded, they're like fans today with, with Twilight, you know, if, if, one, if one Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. is good, then wouldn't 17 be better? You gotta come to a place of sanguinity about these things. Uh, you, you have to realize that I grew up in the 19, I was I was born in 34. Okay, so so I had my generation. If they went to the movies, they had Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. But I had started reading Sherlock Holmes when I was just a kid. So for me, the original is my Sherlock Holmes, and not until they did the BBC series uh, did I find another version of Holmes that seemed to me to be right. This generation's version with Downey is okay, you know, screw it. Uh, it, it. I got no dog in that hunt, as Dorothy Parker used to say. Well, if it falls in the ocean, hell, it falls in the ocean. 
I think if something is great literature, and, and I and I really think the original canon of home stuff is is definitely literature. Uh, then I think every generation should clutch it to its bosom in its own way. If it leads five kids to picking up one of the original books or reading one of the original stories, I say good. Who, who gets hurt? Nobody. You know, Harlan, uh, we were talking to Spider Robinson a couple weeks back about uh, uh, Bob Heinlein's works. How's Jeannie doing, by the way? Um, as well as can be expected, and our thoughts okay. and prayers are with her always. Yeah, that's, 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 that's sufficient for me. I know. Oh, is Jen still with us to uh, give us the status on our auctions for Jeannie? Yes, I'm still here. To whom okay. are you talking? Are you talking to me? No, uh, we've got we've got uh, Jen with us, who's been running some charity auctions for oh, Spider Man. Jen, Jen Schroeder. Yes. Oh God, yes. I didn't know. See, nobody told me that. How do I know Jen? I'm not telepathic. I'm old. I'm not senile. Nobody thought you were seen out for a moment. Hi, Arlen. Great to talk to you. Hi, Jan. How's the, how's how's is, is there any any good news on Jeannie's front? Um, as they said, she's as well as can be expected. The last okay. I heard, uh, okay. they had quit with chemotherapy, and yeah. she has family near her, and Spider is taking care of her full time. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Um, by the way, Jan, that auction you held uh, for somebody to uh, for money for Jeannie, uh, and and the guy bought dinner, bought, bid mm -hmm. on dinner for me and uh, uh, with me and Susan. Uh, we took him to dinner, or he, uh, well, we thought we were taking him to dinner, and there was a huge crowd of famous people uh, there, or semi-famous, or you know, really pretty mediums kind of famous, from Josh Olson and Patton Oswalt on. And uh, the guy, uh, whose name has fallen right out of my head, lives up in uh, up, uh, upstate Washington. And he picked up the whole damn check himself for the whole table. Wow. I mean, there, must have, oh. there must have been 12 of us. Oh, my. And, I, and, and he had paid it before we ever even knew. And I was indeed speechless, if you can imagine such a happy coincidence. <laughs> He was, he, God, I should remember his name. Oh, damn. La -di -da. Okay, moving right along. Um, I would go for, I would try and get the, the, if they do the selected stories, I don't know what stories are in it, but I would go for that or Our Lady of Darkness or You're Not Alone. Mm -hmm. uh, before, Time for I'm sorry, say again. You, you see, one of, one of you is clear and one of you is muffled. Conjure Wife? No, I didn't get that. Go ahead, do it again. I, I believe he was asking if Conjure Wife was one you would do. Oh, God, yes. Conjure Wife would be perfect. Oh, yeah. Conjure Life is very early, and he was still developing that, that incredible fluid tone he had that makes reading like butter. Yes, it does. <laughs> it, it, you just you pick up one of his books, and before you know it, you are at the end. Unfortunately, you're at the end, but yeah. you're at the end. And one of the things that always struck me, the first... Thing I ever read of Fritz's was in a Twilight Zone magazine of all things when Twilight Zone was still on the stands and they had put one of his stories in and it was a story about a man who aged backwards G. Benjamin Button or whatever it was yeah that, yeah, that was it um and it was just this lovely story. And I ended up writing him a fan letter like I had written many fan letters before and he actually wrote back and I had the sweetest letter from him um 
but the more I read of his work, the more it blew me away about how much I loved his characters. I mean, we've talked on here before about different types of science fiction work, that there are some science fiction works that are more geared toward the science piece. And his is just those characters. You you like these people, you want to know these people, or you do know these people, and you can pick up any of his books and say, hey, this is a great person. I want to read their story. <laughs> the, 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 if, 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 I, if I can... Uh, it, it occurs to me at this juncture in the conversation that there is a great tragedy in Fritz's life that made him... In many ways, a very melancholy man, very much mm. like, very much like Poe. Uh, and the tragedy is the same tragedy that poisoned Theodore Sturgeon's life, that Kurt Vonnegut was able to escape, that has always annoyed Bradbury and 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 me. Fritz Leiber was not a science fiction writer. Mm. Fritz Leiber was simply a writer. Genre identification like science fiction, sci-fi, sort of sorcery, love novels, western novels, these are marketing considerations that bookstores used to use before they got co-opted by the web to separate the writing from the writing. So if they could hook you with Tolkien, mm -hmm. they would give you 500 more books that looked like Tolkien, and they were all stuck in fantasy. I was forever getting my books of television criticism stuck into the science fiction. Oh. People would buy the book and then be very pissed at me. Well, this is not science fiction, is it? So why, why is there a book on And they would take it back to the, board, to, to the borders. And the, and the borders would always say, oh, gee, we're awful sorry, he's the sci-fi guy. No, motherfucker, I'm not the sci-fi guy. <laughs> Yo, mama is the sci-fi guy. I got your sci-fi right here. Uh, I, I, I would get crazy about it. Now. I, can't talk, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Fritz. Because Fritz got caught in that same mm. leaking net. Fritz was always better, more important, more universal in what he wrote about and who he wrote about than all the people who were writing science fiction beginning in 19... I mean, he was writing fantasy back in 19... I don't know, 35, 36, 37 yeah. for Weird Tales. Sure. Yeah. And when that was the market, that's the kind of stuff Fritz wrote. But his stuff always transcended. Mm. Love, Lovecraft was in awe of Fritz Leiber. And by the time... Uh, even by the time... You didn't know that? No. Oh, my God. Fritz Leiber was one of the Lovecraft circle. Fritz, right. uh, Fritz Leiber, Do Donald Wandery, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, August Derrick, all of them, Ray Bradbury... And they were all published first by August Derleth, who was the publisher who went into business with Arkham House in the, oh, I guess it was about the middle 40s, late 40s. Uh, he started Arkham House in Sauk City, Wisconsin, so that he could publish Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. He's the guy who, who rediscovered Conan mm -hmm. and, 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 and William Hope Hodgson and all of them. I mean, those books sell for a bloody fortune now. Yes, to get a copy of, of, of uh, Lovecraft's, the original copy of the, Love, of the Lovecraft anthology, The Outsider and others, which was his first real book, would cost you an arm and a leg. And, and 
they first published Fritz's short stories. That's this Knight's Black Agents that I was talking about. And Fritz was, was part of that circle. And Lovecraft has, has written about Liber and talked about his disbelief that a writer that young, because Fritz was only in his, oh, he just have gone into his 20s. At his that early time. 20s, yep. His, his early 20s. And yep. he was about the same age as Bradbury. Uh, and I was still, you know, in, in, in grade school, for crying out loud. Uh, he would talk about not being able to parse the fluidity, the acumen, the skill, the depth, the smartness, the caginess of, of Fritz's writing, even in comparison to his own, much less anybody else. Now, we're talking about some really heavy-duty mm. guys here. And they were in awe of Fritz, and Fritz for you know commercial reasons had to go where the market was so fritz wrote all kinds of stuff but everything he wrote is so hard to categorize even within the limits of what you would call a genre that he could never break loose fritz never had what ted sturgeon got a couple of chances at but fucked up himself nobody fucked it up for him ted was all ted could never keep out of his own way he was always you know, messing up his chances. Fritz had personal problems, and Jonquil had personal problems, and so he had a steady job. And when he had the steady job, he could only write in between sporadically. But the stuff itself, before it even had a chance to get out of that, that wretched ghetto into which so many really good writers were, were dumped and laughed at, the way comic book writers were, were, were laughed at. And they were far and most of them were writing comics. Alfred Bester, for God's sakes, was writing The Green Lantern at the same time that he was doing The Demolished Man. Uh, all of these guys, and a few women, uh, uh, but oddly enough, the women were able to break out of it. Lee Brackett, who was married to Edmund Hamlin, Lee Brackett did movies, uh, great movies. She did uh, she did Raymond Chandler books as movies, and she worked for Howard Hawks and and she was, oh she, oh Lee was Lee, it was spelled L E I G H. I mean, she didn't just do the John Stark books; she did books uh, that were uh, that were ghosted for Gypsy Rose Lee. The, uh, the, 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 the great classic stripper and actor. Right. Oh, yeah, George Sanders had a novel put out under his name, and it's Lee Brackett. Uh, she, did, uh, she did five or six of these ghosted books for, at the time, what was really big money, because these, these people were huge, huge stars. Gypsy Rose Lee, of course, was the woman they made the musical Gypsy. About. Absolutely. And, and, and here was Lee Brackett, married to Edmund Hamilton, who was called the Great Star Smasher, and he had been writing Superman and other comics for Julie Schwartz. Are, are any of these names, do any of these names mean anything? Oh, God, yes. You're not just... Julie Schwartz! All of these, all of these paths cross. It's like, it's like Chingachgook and, and, and Hawkeye meeting in the, in, the, in the forest. All of these trail cuttings all lead from one to another. And if you start following Fritz's trail, you will cross paths with Bradbury and Lovecraft and Derleth and, uh, and uh, uh, George Powell and just about everybody of his time because Fritz was, <laughs> Fritz was the broken statue on the Lost Island. Oh, what a way to put it. 
you, well, you, you, hey. you, come, you come at him on this program, Sci-Fi Saturday Night, you come and all that's left for you to look at is a giant foot. And you don't know the size of that God-headed statue that rose above all the rest of us for more than half a century. Uh, Fritz Leiber was non-parel. You spoke about him, you would say, well, this is a great writer, and this is a great writer, and that one's a great writer, and this one is better than the Pope background that he was, you know, the, the, the genre that he, that he was thrust into. And all of these guys were writing under pseudonyms, and even Fritz did a few things under another name. But when you, when you would say Fritz Leiber, everybody in the room, there would be a nano-instant of silence that, that, that was akin to the moment of silence after Lincoln finished the Gettysburg Address, and everybody was frozen. They were simply frozen. And there's a, oh, God, I wish I, I, wish I had it. Hold on, maybe it's, I'm sitting up in my office, and I got this, this quote somewhere here, and it's a great, great, quote. oh, God, here, listen to this, listen to this. And I have no, it was in the New Yorker, and I'm going to read it to you. This is, a notori this is notoriously a time of crises, most of them false. And this was written before the Internet. A crisis is a turning point, and the affairs of the world don't turn as radically or as often as the daily newspapers or the Internet or Twitter would have us believe. Every so often, though, we're stopped dead by a crisis that we recognize at once as the genuine article. We recognize it not by its size. False crises can be made to look as big as real ones. But because in the course of it, for a measurable, anguished period, sometimes only minutes, sometimes hours, rarely as much as a day, nothing happens. I talked to you about, uh, I'm not quoting this, this is me saying, the death of John F. Kennedy, the Cuban mm -hmm. Missile Crisis. Uh, uh, these were all things that truly nothing happens. It is the moment of stasis between a deed that has been performed and must be responded to and the deed that will respond to it. At a false turning point, we nearly always know within limits what will happen next. At a true turning point, we not only know nothing, we know something much more extraordinary and more terrifying that nobody knows, truly nobody. This BP spill, the Internet has taken it out of that realm of limited data gathering where it was always funneled into either television or the radio or television which were which are you know handleable you can get your you can get your teeth around you can make an opinion now there are so many avenues of information misinformation wikipedia can't get my birth date straight they think i'm either 76 or 77 or 12 or 9 or whatever the fuck <laughs> they think i am and i keep telling people jesus folks Go out and buy an Encyclopedia Britannica. And they look at me, what is it? I said, well, it was, <laughs> it was a book. It's, a, it's what Asimov called the perfect cassette because you can start it where you want, stop it when you want, run it backwards, run it forwards. You hear all the voices absolutely perfectly, they, and, and it looks exactly like you want it to look. That's called a book. Uh, that's why movie. Somebody said to me, I'm doing my Abe Simpson now. Somebody said to me, what? Why shouldn't we go to these rotten movies with all the special effects and the explosions and girls looking up their thongs? Why don't we do that? And, uh, and they were talking about Lovecraft. Why have they never made a perfect Lovecraft? A good, a good Lovecraft. And then forget perfect, a good Lovecraft movie. In all these years, in 70 years, why? Because what Lovecraft described was 
unspeakable. That's right. You no, know, Harlan, really what it comes down to yeah. is that in in the long run, I'm a glad book you're clearing is so much a book is so much better. I mean, I have been the avid person who who sits here and goes, Don't watch the movie. Read the goddamn book. Yeah. Read well, the goddamn <laughs> book. Well, you know, you are speaking to a tone deaf audience. The 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 constituency <laughs> for books. I, I gotta tell you this, and I mean, I mean no bad shit to young people. May they all be mowed down by an AK-47. Anybody under the age of I don't know ninety. Uh, I've, I've come to be a you know a wretched, mean, mean, mean spirited old man. But then I, I'm a dog lover, not a cat. You show me somebody who will eat asparagus. No. Lima beans. You show me someone who will eat a lima bean without a gun to their head, I will show you a sex pervert. <laughs> I like lima beans and totally yes. true. I, I would rather have a marlin spike driven through the left side of my head than eat a lima bean. I had Danny Kay, I had Danny Kay say that on Twilight Zone and... Uh, uh, and uh, somebody comes into it. Somebody comes in. Uh, comes in. Uh, uh, somebody comes into his house, or, or he's talking about it to another guy, and he says, "I got a house full of books." And people come in and they look at all these books. They say, "Have you read all these books?" And I say, oh, "Hell no! Who wants a library full of books you've already read?" <laughs> which is which is as good an answer to anybody who would ask that question as you can have. So saying to somebody, go read the book, is like saying to one of these kids who has grown up in a, has never, never known a time when he was not able to use a computer, never known a time in which he was not able to use an iPod, a hand pod, a, a left pod, to go say, go read a book, you are, and, and him saying, yeah, I might do that, you are talking to an extraordinary child because you are asking that kid who's got peer pressure on him or her, They've got such peer pressure on them not to be a geek, not to be in the out crowd, not to be sitting over there all alone reading a book like a beanhead while everybody else is sitting over on the steps, you know, uh, 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 chewing their chips and, and, and sucking down their, their sport drink. You're asking that kid to do something remarkable, much more remarkable than simply reading a book. You're asking that kid to come out of his or her self his self, that's not good ground, himself or herself, and adopt a lifestyle, uh, a source of information that they have had steadily dissed forever. Should I continue with this thought for a minute before and we get back? Damn right you should, yeah. No, not to mention they now. have to use their imagination on top of it. Well, the first time I noticed this, we'll probably go back. How, how young is the youngest one among you there? I am 25. 25, okay. It goes, it goes back before you were born. Now, picture a time. You've never been alive at a time when there was, was, there was not someone on the moon. To us... When the moon landing happened, mother of God, that was one of those moments it was when huge. everything stopped. It was now, huge. Now today, when there's a rocket launch or, or something like that, hundreds of thousands of people call into the network and complain that their soap operas have been usurped. Yeah. So asking, if I, if I say to you that I remember the beginning of TV commercials in which people like us were being made fun of 
by the only people who profit off our stupidity and our gullibility and our naivete and the fact that we've never been exposed to anything better are the corporations. When you watch TV, what you are doing is you are being what we used to call in the carnival a kadoti, a yokel, a, a, a rustic, a, a buffoon. A, You're a, a mark. You're a Mark. You're a John. Exactly. Exactly. It's the, long, it's the long con, because no matter what you get off television, they are directing you to only a few nozzles that have hosts attached to them. One of them, one of them is going to be, uh, uh, is going to be, uh, um, oh shit, uh, 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 hometown buffet or McCormick's. There are, there are almost, you know, in any city you're in. You're, you're near Boston, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you guys are lucky. You still got the Red Coach Grill. Out of the, on the, I believe you do. But now when you go someplace, it's not a mom-and-pop restaurant where you can get that extra special gumbo. Uh, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a franchise of mm -hmm. one of these mass market joints, and they are like the people who cook on pleasure, uh, pleasure cruises. Nobody bothers to stop to look and say, well, they, it's a mess hall. Like they have in the army, for Christ's sake. They're cooking, <laughs> they're cooking for 1,500 people a shift. Well, it's the same for everything else. Barber shops are going out of business. You don't see a barber pole anywhere. All you see now are fashion salons. You see uh, uh, the, the you know, Slick Max or whatever the hell their name is. What the hell's the name of that barber? That, uh... mm. Although I, I do need to jump in for us for just a second, Harlan. One of the things we normally do is we have a trivia question. We have a, a prize that's been to be given away, and uh, we actually have a Fritz-related question Go ahead. tonight. Go ahead. Now, you're not allowed to answer it, because I know you'll know the answer, Harlan, but you're not oh, allowed to so answer I'm not allowed to Okay, this trivia question is then not for me. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. It's for our listeners so they could win a fabulous prize. What is that prize tonight? Brianna, what's the prize? I don't know. What did we decide it was? <laughs> oh, <Jesus Christ>. <laughs> <laughs> That's I remember there was something about an Amazon and a sword. Oh, it was Peter's drawing. I love professionals. <laughs> hey, <laughs> amateur professionals, you know. Yeah. Don't want to send them over. <laughs> So tonight's trivia question, based on the Fritz Leiber universe, what is the name of the cat in Space Time for Springers? If you know the answer, drop down to our website, drop the answer into the question, and the first person who gets it right wins the Peter Vinton print for tonight. Harlan, back to you, pick my me, friend. Pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. No, that's all right. I do know oh, the answer, but no, I won't say it. Hmm. Hey, Harlan, um, it, it, it's funny because we, you know, I, I, I threw us off on this tangent by by bringing up the, you know, talking about Spider Robinson and, and Robert Heinlein and that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Boy, bent are you, over. Are you, are, you, are you obsessed with finishing a thought? Jesus. Oh, <laughs> you, need, you need serious attention, fella. You really need serious I, I, attention. I'm not I'm taking not my ADD drugs, so, you know. <laughs> the Dome likes to pontificate. He does. You know, you guys probably don't know this, but for a year after the death of Mike Hodel out here, I did Hour 25 every week for two and a half hours, every single night, and I interviewed people, uh, amazing people, night after night after night. So go ahead, interview me. <laughs> what if you want to ask about the confluence 
of Spider Robinson and, and, and Robert Heinlein's work is what? Well, the confluence Variable was... Variable star. Well, yeah, there is that. But the confluence really, the only point that I was trying to make yes. was that we, we're at a point where we're losing literature. Literature as a form is going away. How do you figure that? Because the, the long-form literature of the book is not something that people are dealing with anymore. I would disagree with you. And I would and I would agree with you disagreeing with him. Uh, it is easy to and, and but yet I am agreeing with with you. Uh, and I can't I still can't keep which one of you is talking to me straight, but that's okay. I know one of you is Tracy, and one of you is a is a dead redhead, and one of you is not the dome he left. So no, Mr. the dome Ed, is actually still here. I'm oh, the dome is still actually there. Here, here's how I dis here's how I disagree with you. Fritz okay. Leiber, oddly enough, Fritz Leiber once said. When they made a bad movie out of one of his books, and there's fascinating stories about how any of his stuff ever got made, uh, Fritz said the equivalent of that Dorothy Parker quote I gave you earlier, if it falls in the ocean, hell, it falls in the ocean. Fritz said, uh, and some fan was talking about how they had ruined his book, and Fritz said, no, my book is still on the shelf. My, uh. book, is, my book is there. They made a movie, and if it's bad movie, It'll go away, and it won't be there. Now, this is before things are played relentlessly on television, or you could buy a, uh, a beta or a VHS or a DVD or a Blu-ray or a shove-it-up-your-nostril or whatever the hell it is they're hawking this week. Uh, but Fritz understood the difference. So in that way, literature never goes away. Never goes away. It is, as long as there is a, an outlet, a bookstore, you're sitting in a bookstore right now, right? Or, I, or, or, was I, or did, I, did I get that wrong when I said you guys, one of you said you were sitting in a bookstore, is that correct? No, we may as well be with all the books we have in our rooms. <laughs> oh, I see, but you're not in an actual bookstore. Okay, as long as, there, as long as there is an Amazon that can soak money out of you, they'll find you an old book. Or you can go to any one of the millions of websites of people who are doing that. They're, they're emptying their libraries because they're getting old and they sit and watch movies, or they sit and watch television, or they just, you know, take their medications like you. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and so these books are nothing but a kind of wallpaper. And so they're selling them all over the place. If I, the other night, Susan and I, that's my gorgeous wife, who also is a redhead. And, uh, and 25 years we've been married, and... Uh, can you imagine the Lovecraftian, Fritz Liberian horror of a woman having to be married to me for 25 years? <laughs> and, I'm God being, in and I'm being civil on this program. I have not, I have not gone at you, but um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Dome's poor wife who called me earlier. That was me, uh, actually. Tracy? Uh, Kriana. Oh, Kriana, the daughter. <laughs> okay. I'm going to cheat. Uh, you, you, I, 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 my ire gets up. I am permanently in a state of road rage. And uh, my wife just, when she takes me out in public, she says to anybody who feels like, you know, coming up to me and saying something, don't make eye contact. He won't hurt you. <laughs> so uh, I'm being extremely civil here, but uh, where the fuck did I start with this, this thought? <laughs> I think, I, I think Illustrator Rex here has a question, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Jesus, God. 
I really am drifting. My God. Uh, um, well, I, I was going to ask you. I mean, as wait, 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 wait. wait. We got to go back. We got to go back and end the thoughts. Don't, don't ask me a new one until we get done with the old one. You fuck off. Jesus. I'm being civil here. I'm being civil for Christ's sake. Arlen, we were talking about books, and I was saying how literature was kind of being... Right, 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 right. Okay, let's go back and finish that one off, because either Kriana or Tracy, who said it, is right. Also, it's not disappearing, because we just finished seeing the end of Lost. And i got to tell you, if you go to my website which I almost never do. I don't, go on the, I don't go on the Internet very much. I'm hardly ever anywhere. But there is a website called harlanellison.com, and therein lie a number of what you people call threads, and one of them is Unka Harlan's Art Deco Dining Pavilion. And that's the only place I go, and I answer questions there, and I speak wisely and solomonically, and at some length sometimes to answer any question in there on my birthday, Beginning on, my birthday was Thursday. Beginning on Wednesday, the happy birthdays came in. And there must be over 200 of them. And I think, God, this is really remarkable. 200 people uh, that I've never met, or, you know, I know some of them. With the exception of the, of the science fiction writer Jack Skillingstead, nobody, nobody from the science fiction community came in. And I thought, huh, well, they must be busy off at somebody else's website. But I can tell you that everybody was talking about Lost. Now, what does great literature do? Well, one of the things it does, and this was Mallarmé, the great French poet, said to define is to kill, to suggest is to create. And all writers are liars. How else can we caress the truth? <laughs> and, and I guess, I don't know whether it was Picasso or who said... Um, uh, Jesus Christ. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, 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 this is the only quote that you need to remember from me. It's not even mine, and I don't even know who the guy was. I think he's a Portuguese poet. But he summed it all up for all of us, and it sums up Lost as well, which is nothing, you know, at core, plot-wise, is only Charles Beaumont's story, The Howling Man, which if you were writing this down, you go and read it, you say, oh, my God, it is... Lost all six years of it. The Howling oh Man. Oh my God! <laughs> and, 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 I get and it. You've seen I know it. exactly you, what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and you've seen it on Twilight Zone. Everybody has seen the Twilight Zone episode, yeah. but very few people actually go and read the story. And the story that in, in, I don't know what it was about year four, I figured out. Oh my God! It's got to be the Howling Man, and it is Charles Beaumont, who was a writer very much like Fritz and who adored yes. Fritz. And the two of them wrote very, very much alike in terms of how they did fantasy. Uh, Charles Beaumont uh, wrote the really memorable Twilight Zones for Rod Serling. Yes. And Dick, Dick Matheson is another one of that triumvirate. Yes. And I said this to people, and after Lost was over, everybody, not everybody, that's, that's one of those stupid, uh, all-inclusive cloak words. It doesn't, a great many people were bitching and pissing and moaning. I gave six years to Lost, and I feel cheated. What do you mean you feel cheated, you slime-sucking gnat? What do you mean you feel cheated? You bought in for an hour 
a television, you know, for maybe a total of, I don't know what, six, 18 hours, maybe 18 hours overall, if you cut out the commercials and buying all the crap that they make you sit around, you know, waiting for. <laughs> you bought into that, and all you gave in exchange was your attention, and you would have given it there or somewhere else. But Lost, in my view, Carlton Cruz and Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams have taken on all of the major questions that great literature takes on. What is life? Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going to go? What's it all about? What's the answer? And the only answer, the only answer, if you enjoyed watching Lost, is what Antonio Parchia said. And what he said is, we live only to be... One lives only to become, one lives, God damn it, let me get it right, it's got to get it right, got to get it right, it's not long. Um, one lives only in hope of becoming a memory. Oh. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. When you're gone, you know, I can, I can sit on this radio show with you, or television show, or, or however the Oh, you're streaming it out. And I can tell you about Ray Bradbury and me going to the, the, uh, the Pacific Dining Car Steakhouse with, with, with Lee, Lee Brackett and, and, and Edmund Hamilton and, and sitting and talking about writing and what writing is about and literature and what literature is about. I can tell you about having had dinner with Maurice Chevalier. In this house have sat the most famous names you will ever hope to meet. I have led the great, terrific, wonderful life that everybody wants. I, got, I haven't got a beef in the world. If I'm struck by a thunderbolt immediately in the middle of this conversation, boy, I go out quietly with my fist raised. I have been everywhere, done almost everything I wanted to do. I am married to the most sensational woman in the world, and it's the fifth of five marriages, you know. I, 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 it was said of, I was such a whore. It was said of me that I had, I had screwed every woman on the western seacoast and was working my way inland. <laughs> and, and I wind up finally in Ellis in Wonderland, which is this incredible, it's, it's, it's 700 square yards or leagues or whatever the fuck they judge houses it. It's filled with books. It's filled with art. Uh, it's, it's terrific. I've, I've done everything I could, and I never... If I made mistakes, they were my mistakes, and I, and I deserve to pay for them, and I have. Half my reputation is that I'm a very good guy and a decent fellow, which I think I am. The other half has never met me, and they go on the web, and they talk about me as if I, you know, I spew cat vomit on total strangers and throw them down elevator shafts. Not if the guy that people who believe I threw somebody down an elevator shaft. Nobody. Never been accused of the crime, no evidence of it, but they're positive that I'm a bad guy and they did that. So, what the hell? I, I unlike Fritz, and I keep going back to Fritz because Fritz was my model. Fritz couldn't get out of the goddamn category, couldn't get out of the genre. And every time he would write something as spectacular as Our Lady of Darkness, I remember when it was published. It was published by Putnam. Uh, which is now owned by Berkeley Books. Putnam, I'm not even sure it's the, uh, the imprimatur exists now. They had it in their catalog, 
they're coming, you know, every, every twice a year, every publisher puts out a catalog of what they're going to be publishing. And they do them the way all marketing people do them, the way bookstores do them. They have first the big franchise, you know, the born transectomy. <laughs> and, uh, and and then and then it'll be uh, 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 who's who's the guy who writes all those uh, horrible naval novels? Uh, Tom uh, Clancy. Oh, that, Tom then Clancy. they'll have the next. You know, if Clancy is hot, they'll do a Clancy. And they keep going till they get into the into the into the literary fiction, where they'll have Joyce Carol Oates if they're lucky, uh, if they want a good book, or they'll have some hack uh, who just graduated from. Uh, East Flip Flop uh, University and uh, Punxsutawney, PA, uh, with, a, with, a ma- with a major in marketing and dialysis, and 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 then they will go on through and get into the genres, and they will do, they will do the western. Uh, they, they used to do westerns. They don't do westerns. They would do detective novels, and they would put all of those together. So you'd get your Bill Ponzini and Joe Gores and. Uh, uh, anybody who had escaped, like my pal Robert Craze, Bob Craze would be up in the front of the book. He would be a, line, a headliner. Thank God he got out of the, the, the genre. Uh, then as people's tastes grew more and more narrowed by television, spy thrillers, and they would do all of those. And then they would do, after the detectives, then they would do the cookbooks and the westerns and then the science fiction and fantasy. And all the way at the back, with, I'm not even sure it had a full page to itself, as most of these books did. Some of them, some, when the books were, you know, didn't matter too much, they would put two on a page. They would split it up. And the ones up front would say, author tour, uh, 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 ARCs, that's advanced reading copies, uh, 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 will be at the ABA, the book convention, uh, on television on uh, Johnny Carson or, uh, or David Letterman or uh, uh, Ian Wallaby, the talking panda, you know, what, whatever. <laughs> on Fritz's book, I went blood red, and that's, that's talking about the, the, the road rage, the anger. Blood came out of my eyes. Fritz's book, Our Lady of Darkness, was published behind the cookbooks after the cookbooks was announced, was announced. And I was furious because Fritz Leiber was at the time living in a teeny, tiny, one-room apartment, very, very inexpensive. He was probably living on Social Security checks by that time. Is that the one on Geary Street? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was living in this little room up on Geary. His typewriter was on a wooden chair next to the bed, and he would sit on the bed and type his stories. Mm-hmm. Next thing to absolute fucking ground-level, Katrina-level poverty. One of the great... Let me unclench my teeth. One of the great, great American writers was sitting there, living out his last days like that. And a group of us got together, vans, and we said, this shall not be. And they moved Fritz out of that apartment. I wrote to to Putnam and told them I'd come and set fire to their goddamn building if they didn't do something and give them some money. And the editor at the time was a good friend of mine, and she was a wonderful woman. And she said, you know, that's the way the publicity department did. I didn't do it. And, of course, she didn't. No one is guilty. No one is guilty. Fritz Leiber 
was fulfilling the Aristotelian perfection, the perfect mean of one lives only in hopes of becoming a memory. And we got him out of there. They got him out of there. I, you know, every, a lot of people claim it and let them. It's, it's a good deed. And, and a good deed has many, many, many mothers. The failure has, you know, has no father or something like that. There's a great quote to that effect. And Fritz got taken out of there and, and was, as I understand it, not, not unhappy in his last days. And well, and he was with Margot by then, right? Because that's what I know. The uh, yeah. second time that I met him, the first time I met him was in uh, nineteen eighty-six, and that's when um, he was he still on Gary Street by himself, yeah. right? And it was uh, right in between there somewhere was one of those huge San Francisco earthquakes that happened. During, I remember it was like something yeah. during a baseball game or something, yeah. and I tried to get him for a couple of days just to make sure he was okay. Yeah. And then he had told me he had moved in with Margot, and the only thing that had happened was a bust that he had had of his father that the head had kind of split right in two. But that was the only damage that uh, his stuff had sustained, but that he was with Margot. And then when I got to go back and see him in 1990, yeah. um, he was with Margot. And again, a small apartment, but still... Um, it seemed living, a little living, living, living civilly, he was. Yes, much homier than the first. I one. hear very good things about Margot. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure I've met Margot, but uh, I, I don't even remember. You know, we get we get into the little pocket of our own lives, and I'm. It's a good thing you're asking me about Fritz Lyman because I remember. I can remember all that stuff. If you ask me what I had for breakfast today, I can't tell you. Uh, and when I lose the fluidity of tongue then I will be nothing more than a geezer. And one day, not that long from now, uh, the, the Tracy and Brian and uh, Kriana, you, you'll all be saying, let's have a memorial for the old fuckers. So you're sharks. I used to, <laughs> I used to train, I talked to sharks. I rode on sharks and there was a, the, battle of, the battle of Eep. We came out of the trenches and the mustard gas took us. And, uh-huh. and then Benjamin... You want to hear one of the funniest jokes in the world? I, don't, I tell it now, nobody gets it. Nobody gets it, but it's so goddamn obvious. You want to hear a great joke? Well, first Go of all, here's, here's a joke that was engraved on the side of the, of the pyramids. Do you know how you handle an elephant with three balls? <laughs> no. You walk him and pitch to the rhino. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. You're a good audience. All right, now here's... Oh, wait. Oh, thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all week long. I'm staying at the uh, Red Coach Grill, and uh, we're doing Under the Yum Yum Tree and uh, double two, two shows on Saturday. Um, don't forget to tip your waitress and turn out the lights. Here's a joke that I just fucking just breaks me up, and I tell it to, to uh, meaning no offense, dead redhead. People, you know, younger than you, and they don't have a fucking clue. Not at all. You will get it. Thomas Edison is working in his attic, and he's been up there for at least six, eight weeks. He hasn't taken a morsel of food. He hasn't, he, he hasn't taken water, as far as anyone knows. And he's in the attic working on this, this great invention, and he's obsessed by it. And they bang on it, and he won't answer. Says, go away, go away, go away. Finally, his wife, in, 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 in just... 
white with fear and trembling, takes up a little tray of gruel, of porridge, and a, and a, and a, and a glass of milk, and she has one of the assistants strong-arm the door, just bashes into the door till he breaks open the door of the attic, and there's Tom. There's Thomas Edison over there by the table, and he's got this, this little glass globe nailed to a piece of wood. And they say, Tom, Tom, please, please, we're worried about your health. Tom, you're going to die. Please, Tom, take a little porridge, a little gruel. And he's like, and he says, come here, come here, wait, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, look, look. And they, they come over, and there's three of them now with, with, with Edison. There's four, and they're, and they're, they're huddled over, and he says, look, look. And he flips a switch on this little glass thing, and it lights up. And Thomas Edison leans in, and he says, hello? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, oh I love nice. That I love that gag. While we were still talking about um, oh. Fritz, I think that uh, Brian oh. wanted to read you. We did get a hold of Justin. Oh, yes. Justin uh, Liber was supposed to be on the show tonight. He had to cancel at the last minute, but he did specifically uh, write to me and say, give my best to Harlan and applause for your May 29th program, but I have to present at a conference in San Antonio that night, et cetera, et cetera. He'll be on a future show, and he'll be happy to talk about his dad. Oh, that's then. good. He is uh, a but, good guy. Yeah, in fact, he specifically, he wraps up his letter to me, says, I've been, of course, enormously pleased by Harlan's remarks about my dad. So, well, listen. I was going to say he's a, he's a good lad, but of course he's not a lad now. He's he's older. He's older than uh, than any of you guys, I think. And, yes. Uh, and, but he was always a good guy. He had a good heart. And uh, uh, when I talk about the tragedy of of Fritz's life, it's 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 a tragedy, not of so much of Fritz's making as I'm trying to you know, eke it out, it was that he, like everybody who worked in that genre, from Lovecraft on, they all thought they were being laughed, not so much laughed at as dismissed. The, the, the mm. Eastern literary daisy chain, every once in a while they'd let someone escape. They'd let Ellery Queen escape out of mystery, uh -huh. or they'd let... Or they'd let uh, 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 Robert Parker escape out of mysteries or westerns, and and Bradbury managed to get out, and Vonnegut managed to get out, and one or two others. Nowadays, it doesn't matter because all the books that are making money are all that stuff that they used to laugh at in that genre. And you know, when you say you got the money to go and see Twilight, I'm thinking, huh? Had Fritz only lived long enough to have reaped the commercial physical money benefits of this of this adoration for this kind of fantasy mm. but as as we all know the biggest money making movies of the past jesus what i don't know generation are all science fiction or fantasy and right. it's a term now that means nothing it's a, it's a it's a genre category that only has meaning for people selling it and that's why i was saying to you when they narrowed down the mouth of that hose so that no matter where you go, whether it's a bookstore or Amazon or buying it from, from a peddler on the street who's getting rid of a, a sack load of books to clear his, his room of the, of the wallpaper, or it's lost, which is literature. And I mean, lost is literature. It is literature by different means, the same way as 
The Godfather is literature by different means. The Magnificent Seven, the Seven Samurai, which goes back to feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. When Kurosawa, when Sir Kurosawa made that film, he made literature. It's yes. just that the term no longer has meaning. It's jibber jabber. So I agree and I disagree, and that ends that topic. Now we can move on. How much longer do I have to do this? <laughs> well, we can stop now if you'd prefer. Well, it's it's uh, we we went on at eight o'clock your t- oh, no nine o'clock your time, right? No, eight o'clock. It's nine o'clock now. Okay, so I got six o'clock here, so that's I've been working about an hour, right? And not a fucking penny have you put in my pocket, and I said that, I said that. To Charles Dickens, we were both out in the street putting up our broadsides on the wall. He was doing something <laughs> about, I don't know, about a, an old lady living in a house and uh, a guy tearing down her drapes and she's crying and said, I'm going to put up a workman's comp claim against you. I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> hey, Harlan? Yeah. Yes, dear. Let's, <laughs> Hi, sweetie. Let's, let's see if we can find a way to just give you... A couple minutes to think, uh, just kind of wrap it up about, you know, the kind of memory that Fritz Leiber brings today. I have a good way to do that. Go ahead. Did Fritz ever give you any personal advice? Um, I think it was Fritz who said to me, yeah, it was Fritz. Uh, In fact, the reason I remember is because there's a photo taken of it, and it's Fritz and me sitting at a world horror convention and the trophy uh what they call the bram stoker award um which i designed with uh steve kirk wow in the shape of in shape of the usher house with the door that opens most awards look like shit uh, <laughs> oh, they do really honest to god i got That's two true. edgars i got two edgars from the mystery writers and what and they look like a bus that you would win at a ring toss in a, in, a, in, a, in a carnival. They really are, for an organization that famous, that they're really cheesy. Like, I don't mean to disrespect them, but they're cheesy. The, the nebula, however grand the base may be, oh, no, not the nebula, the, the, uh, the Hugo, and I got seven and a half of those, they've all got that huge rectal suppository on top. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very nice. If you want to nail it to a wall, you know, horizontally, you can put a roll of toilet paper on it, and it becomes very, very useful. But anyhow, um, when, when, they, when, it, when I helped found the Horror Writers of America with Joe Lansdale and a couple other people, they said, what kind of award are we going to have? And they said, well, we'll call it the Bram Stoker Award. It's a good idea. I said, well, let me, let me design it. And I got together with Steve Kirk, the brother of Kim Kirk, the artist who did all the, uh, the wonderful drawings for Lord of the Rings and, and, and so many other things. I mean, Kim has a, has a long, long history. Uh, God knows what you guys know and what you don't know, but his brother Steve worked for Disney for uh, Disney Imagineering, and he did the front wall of my house. He did the pillars that I'm staring at now, which are up in the atrium of my office, which has a Victorian pressed tin ceiling, and they are floor-to-ceiling, wonderful uh, Uh. Art Deco pillars. You've probably seen, if you've seen the movie about my life, Dreams with Sharp Teeth, 
Uh, you yep. will, and if you haven't, <laughs> please. It should. <laughs> it's one of Amazon's top 20 fucking documentaries of all time. Will you please go? It's a brilliant. <laughs> it took them 21 years to do it. Hey, that's the commercial. Okay, folks, now here's where you should spend your life. Go immediately to Amazon. <laughs> order up Dreams with Sharp Teeth, and you will see all the people I'm talking about and my house. Uh, anyhow, Tim Kirk, uh, Steve Kirk and I designed something that would be beautiful to look at. I said, if we're going to do an award, let's do one that nobody's going to be ashamed to show. And we designed that house, and, I, and, and we called it the Usher. So the actual award is called the Bob Stoker Award, but the statue is called the Usher. And um, Fritz and I are shown in a photograph, which I'm sort of looking at over. Yeah, over, uh, over the, uh, the staircase down which I was thrown when we had the earthquake here, the Northridge earthquake. And Fritz and I are sitting holding hands, or touching hands, one Fritz's hand overlapping mine, or mine overlapping, I can't see that part of the photo. And he's got, he's got an Usher house in front of him. I think he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I'm sitting there because I think one of my books, uh, The Essential Ellison, which they could also buy through Amazon, uh, was... Uh, <laughs> Listen, let me, let me make a fucker, will you, for Christ's it's sake? I'm an old Jew. I'm an old Jew, and I need to, you know, get my porridge. Ah, I already got a copy, and it's the best doorstop I ever bought. <laughs> how, how sensitive. <laughs> what, what a charming thing to say to a man on the verge of the fucking abyss. <laughs> Thank God I am looking out of my office window from the top of my large, quite beautiful home on the on the top of the Santa Monica Mountains, looking 35 miles across the San Fernando Valley to the San Bernardino Mountains, which looks today like a Winslow Homer, no, not Winslow Homer, uh, Maxfield Parish, a Maxfield Parish painting. The mountains are pure Maxfield Parish, looking at the wing that we're building called The Keep, which will be storing a lot of this pulp paper that I've become the custodian of. And I'm happy and happy and happy. And I'm not rich, but I'm quite, quite happy. So fuck you and use the doorstop. <laughs> you took us, you goyish arsehole. <laughs> and I just, just got owned, didn't you, X? Yeah. Oh, what can I say? So there I am looking at this picture, and it's Fritz and I at a horror writer's uh, convention, which had to be taken... Well, I don't know, 90-something. I don't know what. I could go and look at my, uh, my, my, uh, my, uh, my Brown Stoker Awards and tell you which one that is, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and we are looking at each other, and he said to me, I mean, we said many things to each other, but the one thing that I recall him saying was, <laughs> it falls in with Antonio Porcia. One lives only in hopes of, one, one lives only in hopes of becoming a memory um, he said to me the same thing. He said, have a strong third act, kid. Uh, uh, oh, my. I mean, Fritz said a lot of stuff to me over the years. But that one, that one I remember because it's, it's the answer. It's the answer. Have a strong third act, kid. Damn good answer. One lives in the hope of becoming a memory. Portia, strong third act. Listen, I'm going to take my leave of you guys. You have been absolutely tickety, tickety spot on, as my wife sometimes says, being a Brit. And uh, I hope I've done okay. Hey, Harlan, you've been yeah, fucking awesome. 
Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Harlan. I really appreciate it. My, 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 my pleasure. Can I, can I give you a PS? Absolutely. I, I, yeah, one, one PS in the, in the lee, in the wake of fucking awesome. The Grand Canyon is awesome. The Greater Magellanic Cloud, awesome. Eleanor Roosevelt and Shakespeare, yeah, probably awesome. Talking to me is like a cheese quesadilla, kid. It's terrific. It's fun. I'm a good raconteur. I didn't waste your time. I made you laugh. I ain't. You got to stop using awesome. He well, I would say you've got to stop underestimating yourself. Party on, dude. Party on. Bye-bye. On that note, Harlan, thanks so much. Thank you, Harlan. Good Bye-bye. night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Wow. Okay, we've had an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And one hell of an hour it's been. (laughs) Wow. Did I say anything? I don't remember. It's all a blur. Hey, uh, X, uh, you've got stuff written down we're supposed to read. (laughs) 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 Just freaking read it, would you please? Holy crap, what a night. <laughs> Wait till you hear what we got coming up. I need more beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, yes, Harlan was good, but coming up in June, we have awesome guests. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how can you possibly follow that up? Well, on June 5th, we have producer and director George O'Connor of 664, The Neighbor of the Beast. Oh, they're fun. That's going to be totally as good as... Uh, June 12th, we have a doubleheader. We have artist Jackie Musto and animation director Radia Albinson of Silver Circle Films. June 19th, we show the return of artist and fan favorite Frankie B. Washington as he talks about his new strip, Zombies vs. Cheerleaders. It's really cool. (laughs) I just (laughs) saw it. We're talking about our coming up calendar. Jan, how are those auctions for Jeannie going? Um, Jan, you're still there. Oh my oh, God! So. <laughs> uh, talk about everybody getting beating, beaten into submission. <laughs> we still have 18 items that are up for auction, and as I mentioned last time, uh, the completed auctions so far have brought in over $600. And I ran in, ran some figures tonight, and if the 18 that we have going now were just to complete to complete at the minimum bid, it would take everything up over $1,000 collected for Jeannie and Spider. So please, folks, please. Go and bid if you want it. We have very good artists at very reasonable rates. Very reasonable. Mike Mignola is going for what? $26 right now? Original artwork? That's crazy. Ben Temple Smith. Sergio, Sergio Reganes. Ben Temple Smith. Ben Temple Smith. Billy Tan. Joe Linsner. Joe Michael Linsner. The man who does Cry for Dawn. Get his stuff dirt cheap. Just go for Please. it. Please. Go for it. And, and that dead guy. You know, who am I talking about? That dead guy who did that elf thing. 
The dead guy who did the elf thing? You mean Tolkien? Yes, J.R.R. Tolkien. No, 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 that crossover picture. Poison elves. Poison elves. Drew Hayes. Drew Hayes also. Because we have a signed print by... So getting back to the coming up calendar here. Oh my god. Thank you, Jan, for coming on and being so wonderful. Jan, you have you're welcome. Happy to do it, and thank you all for do for all the work you did collecting these wonderful things. It was our pleasure. Absolutely, uh, you are the patience of a saint. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something better than a saint? Because I think she deserves that. Yeah, I'm I'm going I'm going for godhood at this point. Oh my god. Yeah, but, I, I don't know. I'm still stop. wiping up blood around the around. Wait, around seriously, let's just stop for a minute, Jan. You are wonderful. You are doing so much, and for Jan, for Gene Robinson and us, and trying to help her out. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate everything you're doing. You're more than welcome. Mm. And even Harlan oh. said nice things about you. So yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. Hurricane well, Harlan. I'm one of those uh, people who thinks that. Yeah, I'm one of those people who thinks that Harlan is a very nice man. So. He isn't. Well, I, I gotta tell you, he treated us with with kindness tonight. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes. He absolutely did. Uh, where was it? Oh, yeah, so by, by the way, on June 26th, uh, we will be having writer Gregory Norris of Star Trek Voyager, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Sci Fi Networks Magazine. Whoa, how cool is that? It is very cool, huh? I said, who the hell got him? Uh, that would be Illustrator X. Thank you very much, okay. Dad. Uh, uh, you. Five. Sending, sending, sending. <laughs> what? You're supposed to say received. Say received, dear. Huh? <laughs> sure, whatever. Oh, and with wow. that, we have to do a shout-out to Julia Goya. She'll know who she is, because she helped us to find Gregory. Yes, indeed. Uh, Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And tonight's outro music is provided by Zanoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Tonight has been our third office retrospect of the life and work of Fritz Leiber. And our special guest tonight has been Harlan Ellison, who is fucking awesome. <laughs> please, please just go on Amazon and look up Go on Amazon, look up Fritz. Um, we didn't talk as much about his work as we kind of were hoping to, but his work is amazing. Please go out and find his stuff. It's It will be well worth your time. Well, you know, uh, Fred, I have a suggestion for you. If you would like to make a rambling post about his work and which which stories you think one should start please with, please do. And go for it. I think we would all like to see it. So from the Four Color Vault Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, we are hours away from the Bazinga Ball Pit, Bacchanal, and Pennyana Poker Party, celebrating four decades of squandering precious hydrocarbons in pursuit of the perfect Supergirl panty shot, Illustrator X, and the flesh-eating bombshell that get red in. Thanks so much. Good night, everyone. It's been a total eclipse of the heart. <laughs> from the Austin Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, Kriana... You did it, girly. 
The following talk cast was recorded live.